Good morning. How are you guys? Wow. It is so good to be here. This morning I was um, actually at a coffee house reflecting on you being, I used to live here and living in the coastlands and all that God's done here and just the love of staff and the church and, and, and you guys. And uh, I was just, just reflecting on how good God has been to my wife and I in giving us a family like this. This is an amazing, an amazing adventure that we've been on, things that God's been doing um, in San Francisco. And um, man, I'm, I'm just so excited to be here. Because of our kind of shared DNA, what we've been doing recently has been talking about who we are as a church. And uh, if there's one like way I was to, I was to describe the coastland, uh, Ventura and Carpinteria and Santa Barbara, it would be love. Ever since I walked in this building, when, I, when, I, when my wife and I pulled into town, the staff, the church, there's so much love in this church. And the apostle John said, that's what should define the church, is love for one another. And because of that, let's show some love to uh, Ventura and Carpenter who are with us right now. We love you guys. We love Carp, Ventura. The church planners have been asked to come and talk about kind of what makes us us, what makes reality kind of tick and work. We have an um, insider uh, little phrase for this. We call this TMR, a theological community, a missional community, and a relational community. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about we are a theological community. And what we've been saying is because we are a theological community, because we endeavor to be a community that's around and, and centered around God, because of that, we base our identity and our activity on an understanding of who God is. So all of our identity and all of our activity come from who God is. So because of that, we are a theological community. And because we're a theological community, as we learned last week, we are also a missional community. God is a missionary God. God, in his, by his nature, is a missionary God. Because he is that, we are a missional community. And because God, as we're going to learn today, is a community, we are a relational church. We endeavor to be, we want to be a relational church. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse uh, 26, read 27, and then jump to chapter 2, verse 18. So if you have a physical Bible, you're in luck today. It's going to, if you have a digital one, it's really hard to, hard to do that. So physical Bibles, um, extra credit this morning. <laughs> Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and then I'll shoot over to, to chapter 2, verse 18, and then I'll pray. Verse 26, and then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over all the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone and I will make a helper fit for him. That's our text. Let's pray. Jesus, we have come to worship you as Alex was praying this morning. We are here to worship you, the living God. And I know I, know I can speak to ears, but only you, Holy Spirit, can speak to hearts. So I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today. 
that you would transform us. We submit our lives under the authority and the power of your word. And we say, God, we love you, God, but help us to love each other. Help us to love each other well, that people from the outside could see into the church, the church in the coastline, and say, they love God because they love one another. And so I pray if, if we've been here and we've just been completely lonely, that you would heal us, God. If we've been completely independent of people and we just, we're going through a time where we just don't like the world, we don't like people, we're just over people, that you would heal us, God. If people have sinned against us, if we've sinned against someone else, God, may, may you bring reconciliation today. May the fruit of our worship, the fruit of us knowing Jesus and being on mission for Christ, may the fruit of that be godly, healthy, and amazing relationships, God. I pray that for this church. And so, God, I ask right now that, that you would anoint me, that you'd use me. Because I know that, God, you want to communicate something to this church today. And I pray that you have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here is what we're talking about today. You and I were created for relationships. You were made for relationships. Relationships are not only a part of reality's DNA as a church family. Not only, though we have different expressions, we're in San Francisco and Santa Barbara, Ventura, um, Carpinteria, L.A., Stockton, London, soon Boston, praise God. Even though we have different expressions, we share this DNA. We are a relational, and we endeavor to be, we want to be a relational community. But relationships are not just a part of reality's DNA. They're actually a part of your DNA as a created being. You were created for relationships. Relationships are a part of your identity. You don't know who you are apart from relationships. You can't know who you are apart from relationships. And if you're going, no, 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 I'm an island. I'm good. I'm, I, can, I can live my life alone. Some of you guys are um, introverts is what we call them. Introvert, you're introvert, you're like, people drain me. I don't like people. I like my Bible, a cup of coffee, Jesus. Everyone else can be like whatever. Like, that's it. And then you, you've mustered up, like, when you come into the, the church, you know where you're sitting. You're like, hey, we're, there's, I'm not in the middle of people. Like, aisle seats, you guys are normally introverted. I'm just saying. Um, so, <laughs> but relationships are a part of your identity. Maybe you've heard someone say, maybe you've said this yourself, all I need is God. Have you ever said that? All I need in this life is God. Me and God. Me and my relationship with God. Me and my little snuggy blanket and a cup of coffee in Jesus. That's all I need. I need nothing else. That's all that matters. Just give me Jesus. I want nothing else and no one else. We pray it. We say it. We sing it. And we think the more spiritual that we get, the less we need people. The more, the more spiritual I get, the more I memorize my Bible, the more I go to church. Actually, the less I need people. I can be alone, and it's completely okay. Now, this sounds really good. It'll preach, too. If I walked up here and go, guys, Jesus, that's all you need is Jesus. You need nothing else but God. You and God equals amazingness. That's it. And it preaches really well, and it sounds really good. And it could come from a heart's desire to know and to follow God. And it's true as it pertains to our redemption. But it's not true as it pertains to our humanity. How else do you explain this? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good that man should be alone. Stop for a second. I think we read the Bible too fast sometimes. I mean, do you ever just read Genesis and just like pause and like maybe talk to your Bible and go, wait, what did that just say? This trip out on this verse, this verse, verse, eight, verse 18 in chapter 2 of Genesis is, this verse blows my mind. Just think about it for a second. It's fascinating. Think about the context surrounding this verse. Adam is in the garden with God. Just Adam and God in perfect relationship, in perfect paradise, with perfect weather and perfect food. It's like the weather of Santa Barbara and the food of San Francisco. It's perfect. You mesh those two things together and you add God, like God's there with him. You're going, he has everything. I mean, if I just pitch that to you, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you perfect weather, perfect food, perfect body, perfect environment, perfect everything. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be right next to God the whole time. You're like, paradise, perfection. And then it says like this in chapter, in verse 18. Then the Lord God said. So God's seeing Adam, and he says in verse 18, then the Lord God said. Now this is very important. You have to pay attention. The way, the, the rhythm, this should, what this should do is as you're reading chapter 2, this should bring you back to the rhythm of chapter 1. You guys remember Genesis chapter 1? Of course you do. A lot of you guys have it memorized. You've read it every January 1st. You guys know Genesis chapter 1. What's the rhythm of Genesis chapter 1? And God said, right? And God said, and it was, and it was Good. God said, it was, and it was good. God said, it was, and it was good. That's the rhythm of Genesis 1. God said, it was, boom. God created with his mouth, with his words, the word of God creating. God said, it was, and then it was good. Said, was, good. So when you get to chapter 2, verse 18, you're going, and then the Lord God said, you're going, oh, the the rhythm is going to pick back up again. The Lord God said, it was, and it was good. That's what you should be thinking. It was good. Everything that God makes is good. And what is good? I was reading a book recently on graphic design for fashion. I know it sounds weird. The book looked great and interesting, so I picked it up. I opened it. The very beginning, they asked all these fashion designers and their graphic departments, all creative people, all people who create, this exact same question. What is good? How do you define as a creative? How do you define good? And this is what they said. This is how the book opens up. How do you know when something is good? That depends on what you want to achieve. I think it's the toughest thing about being creative. To see when something is good. To see when it is finished. But the very moment you reach this point, you'll feel it. It is the moment when everything, every ingredient of your creation is in tune. It feels like enlightening, a beautiful, tender moment. An extreme satisfaction. This is what it must have been like when God created everything. Being the ultimate creative and it was good. He saw it and he enjoyed his creation. Proverbs 8, personifying the wisdom of God in creation, says that God was rejoicing in all the inhabited world, delighting in it as he was making it. He was probably making, goes, oh my gosh, that's good. And making this, oh, that's good. And it's all in rhythm. It's all in step. It's all working together. And everything is harmonious. Everything is in tune. Everything is beautiful. It's full of function and purpose. Shalom. Peace is what the Old Testament calls it. It was good. Then you get to chapter 2. Where the narrative moves into focus with attention on the pinnacle of his creation. Human life. 
And then 2.18, then the Lord God said, now wait for it, right? You guys are prompted, you guys wait for it. The Lord God said, it is not good. And you should, you should go pick up your Bible going, what? What happened? Like it was all good. Like God said it, it was, it was good. God said it, it was, it was good. Chapter two, God said it, it was, and it's not good. It's not good. God made something not good. What is not good? It's not good that man should be alone. Now, if you don't talk to your Bible, this is where you should talk to your Bible. You should be reading your Bible and go, it's not good that, but God, he's not alone. Say that to your Bible. He's not alone. He has you, God. It's you and him. You're walking. I see you guys right there. He's not alone. Adam doesn't even know he's alone. He's like, you're alone. He's like, I'm a what? I have you. Like, I, I don't, what do I need? I don't need anything. This is some commentators, this is why, commentators believe this is why um, God marched all the animals in front of Adam, just to show his need for companionship. That's why he saw no one that can be his companion. All these animals came up and he's like, no, 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 no. Name them, but say no. There's no one that was his companion. God was just showing him his need. You have a need. Now you and I would go, Adam has everything he needs. Everything's perfect. It wasn't good enough for God. Adam could not be alone. Now, some of you might be thinking, wait, isn't this passage about marriage and sex and procreation? Yes. That's partially why things were not good. But that's not, the pr- that's not primarily what's going on here. And here's why I think I can say that. Who is the perfect and was the perfect image of God? Reflecting God perfectly the truer and greater Adam. Was he not single? He wasn't married. The Bible actually looks favorably on singleness, 1 Corinthians chapter seven. But what the Bible knows nothing of is a solitary faith. What the Bible knows nothing of is someone who's alone. So why was it not good that man should be alone? This is important. First off, Because God made man in his image, in his likeness. Adam was made in the image of a community, an eternally existent relationship. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is one of the most interesting parts of the whole creation narrative. When Genesis speaks of God creating light and weather and dry ground and seas and sun and moon and plants, he created everything and gave it purpose. He gave it function. He caused it all to work. He brought order out of chaos. He created everything. It says he created, God created, he created. But when it comes to him creating humanity, the pronoun changes. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make, let us You see the pronoun change? Let us. Before that, it's God said, God said, God said. But then you get to chapter, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Notice it says, not me, us. You're like, whoa, the Trinity? Is this the Trinity here? Yes, I believe the Christian teaching of the Trinity is alive and vibrant from the opening pages of the Bible. I believe that there's Trinitarian language here in Genesis chapter 1. But the main point of all of that is this. It's when God created humanity that his plurality came out. It was when God made us, 
that his plurality came out. It was there implicitly in verse, from verse 2, Genesis 1, verse 2. But in the creation of humanity, it explicitly comes out. God's plurality explicitly comes out. And because God created us in his image, according to his likeness, we weren't just created by God, we were created like God. Do you, you, have to, you have to understand this. You were created in the image of God. You weren't just created by God, you were created like him. And since God is a community, since God is a tri-unity, and we were created like him to reflect him, you were created for community. You were made, you were built. Part of your DNA is being communal. Part of your DNA is living with each other. Part of your DNA is getting along with one another. Part of your DNA is you need other people. I like what C.S. Lewis said about the Trinity. If you're tripping out about the Trinity, you'll trip out for a very long time. But I love what C.S. Lewis said. He put it like this in his book, Mere Christianity. God is not a static thing, not even, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. The divine dance. That's how C.S. Lewis describes the Trinity. Why a dance? Because God is not static. See, the the nature of self-centeredness is being static and everything revolving around you. The nature, the the reason why you're having relational problems, because you step into a relationship, you're like, okay, revolve around me, friend. Revolve around me, wife. Revolve around me, kids. I am, I'm static. Everything moves around me. God who deserves all glory and all praise and all worship, not even like that. He's not static. He's a dynamic. He's moving around. He's preferring us, that he sent Christ to die for us. Do you see that? God, whom all glory is due, is not even static. He exists in a dynamic, interpersonal relationship. Now, you may have heard what it means to be created in the image of God. You may have heard this. Someone, people have said, oh, the, 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 what it looks like, what it means to be created in the image of a triune God is that you have a body, you have a mind, and you have a soul. Have you heard that? You're a trinity, and you're a little trinity. You have a body, you're created like a, you have a body, mind, and soul. You're three in one. This is a very Western way of looking at ourselves. Where we believe that our identity comes from within, from our authentic self is an inner self, And we can exist apart from relationships, apart from other people. We can have relationships, but we don't need relationships. This is not true. In the mid-90s, Larry Crabb challenged the field of Christian psychotherapy, having been a psychotherapist himself, a professor, and the director of a counseling institute. He said that the Christian counseling industry should be dismantled, he said. In 1997, he wrote a book called Connecting in which he offered this prescription for healing soul wounds. And he says this, and I quote, We must do something to offer. We must do something other than train professional experts to fix damaged psyches. Damaged psyches aren't the problem. The problem beneath our struggles is a disconnected soul. And we must do something more than exhort people to do what's right and then hold them accountable. Groups tend to emphasize accountability when they don't know how to relate Better behavior through exhortation isn't the solution, though it's sometimes part of it. Rather than fixing psyches or scolding sinners, we must provide nourishment for the disconnected soul that only a community of connected people can offer. 
What brought Crabbe to this realization was a profound awareness that, the human, that human beings were created in the image of the triune God, and therefore we are created for relationship. See, do you see the reason behind this radical statement that God makes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18? He says, it, I mean, it's almost scandalous when you think about what the implications are, what God is saying, that even a perfect relationship with God, even a perfect body in a perfect environment is not enough for us. If you've been trying to achieve the perfect relationship with God in a perfect body, in a perfect environment, your surroundings all perfect, it's not gonna be enough for you. God himself said it's not good, Adam, it's not, this is not good that you are alone. You need a helper Guys, you, you, you guys can't, we can't even do theology apart from community. If you're like, I'm just gonna get to know God, meet, you have, if you go to a, a seminary today or, or a Bible college, they'll put you in what's called a, a cohort. Because it's silly to try to learn God alone. Silly. Have you ever tried to learn God alone? Like, I had this thought about God. You have to share it with other people so people can say, no, you're absolutely wrong because you didn't read the rest of that verse. You need people like that in your life. You need to, we can't be a theological community apart from being a community. You can't do mission alone. God's been doing a, a wonderful thing in San Francisco in the Tenderloin District, which is a really difficult district, really broken district in San Francisco. And the way that God's been doing that is through a community of people. It's not just one person. It's a, a, a group of people that love each other, that are mo actually moving their lives into the Tenderloin, getting apartments there and ministering to the homeless, ministering to the people who are uh, alcoholics and drug addicts and all these things. As a community, one person can't do it alone. It takes a community to spur one another on. You need other people. This is how God had made us. This is how God makes us. You and I, the human person, is not an isolated being who is complete in himself or herself. You are not complete in yourself. We were created beings that need fellowship with others. We're not complete apart from others. You were not created for self-centeredness. That's why self-centeredness eventually pushes everyone you love away from you and you become isolated and alone. You might have experienced this. So here's what this means. Number one, wanting, even needing relationships is not a product of sin. If you feel lonely and guilty because you keep telling yourself, I'm lonely, but God should be enough for me. Read Genesis chapter two. Can I free you right now? From that guilt going, I'm, I'm alone, and I feel so guilty because I feel like I should, God should be enough for me. Read Genesis chapter two. God is enough as it pertains to your salvation, but he didn't create you to be alone. He didn't make you that way. You need other people. You need to go to a community group. You need to go to a Bible study. You need to meet other Christians in this church before you leave. It might be creepy. Grab someone and go, can we have coffee? Like, I'll buy. Do that. If you are alone and Satan's been isolating you and you're like, I don't know anyone at this church, I don't know anyone in this community, grab someone and go, what community group do you go to? Well, I don't go to one. Let's go to one together. If you just, I know school's starting up soon. You can't do school alone. I, I tell this all the time to our community. You move to San Francisco, you better get involved in the life of a community group. You better get your rhythm with the rhythm of other Christians in the city. 
You have to live your life in rhythm with other people. This is how God made us. I'm not saying this because it's like good for you. I'm saying this because it's who you are. You won't know yourself apart from another, other people. You need this. Not only that, not only is wanting, even needing relationships, not a product of sin, it's not a sign of weakness either. Don't feel like you're weak right now if like, I really need someone, I need a friend. You're not weak if you need a friend. To, uh, to desire relationships with others is a part of God's design. No man's an island. Even Tom Hanks had, in the movie Castaway had Wilson the volleyball. <laughs> and everyone cried when he lost Wilson. If you didn't, you don't have a soul. <laughs> everyone, you need, everyone needs someone else. No, by the way, don't get a volleyball, okay? Some of you guys are going, oh, that's it. I'm going to get a volleyball. I won't have to get a human friend. No, get a friend, a real one. You were created for relationships. Now, there is something that's kind of hanging in this, in this sermon that's kind of there. I think it's obvious. You're going, okay, relationships, friendships, marriages, families, when they work, they're the best things in the world. Nothing comes close to them. No drug, no amount of money, no level of success can even touch it. But the problem is, they only work in short bursts. The problem is, sin breaks down relationship. The problem is, a lonely person goes to a community group and says, guys, I need everyone here. I need everyone's number. And it gets super awkward. And everybody's like, no, I'm not going to be your friend. The problem is, there's codependent people in this building, and then there's independent people. The problem is, you've been so hurt and broken by your other relationships that you can't let anyone else in. Our relationships are littered with jealousy and envy and competition and bitterness and selfishness and independence and rivalry and isolation and pride and gossip and apathy and neglect and every other perversion of grace. The reality is our relationships have been and are constantly being affected by sin. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship for a half a chapter. Did you realize that? You're like, whoa, this is good. Chapter in, new chapter, it's done. You're like, whoa, that was, that was really fast. And, you're, and you know that if you've been married for a honeymoon, day two, it's like, whoa, wait a minute here. You know if you've been married... You know this. It's like, it's about a half a chapter. And that's about all you get. If you're single, you're like, is that true? Yes. <laughs> it's very true. Write it down right now in your journal, your diary, whatever you keep. Sin always separates what God has joined together. Always. Isn't that what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Sin separates what God has brought together. And because of sin, relationships are costly. You can get hurt Actually, your relationship with God can even get damaged because of other relationships. But you need to hear this. God doesn't let you out of them. If you're like, but relationships hurt me and they damage me, God doesn't go, okay, they do. You know what? You, don't, you know what? You're exempt. You don't have to be in a relationship. You're good. He doesn't let you out of them. Every prescription that the scriptures give is reconciliation. Love covers a multitude of sin. Forgive one another. If you have something against each other, lay down your sacrifice and your offering and go to that person before the sun goes down. This is what we're not allowed out of them. If you thought, okay, but I, you don't understand the relationship that I had cut last year damaged me so much, I'm exempt from relationships. You're not exempt. 
You're not, ex- I wish I can grab you by the face and say, you're not exempt. You're not. You're, some of you guys think, well, that's for the, them. They don't know. You're not exempt from relationships. You're not exempt from biblical community. If the church has hurt you, you're like, I, 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 it's way easier to relate to people who are not in the church, who are not Christian at all. And that might be you. It's hard to relate to Christians, but God doesn't let us out of it. What he does is he comes in and he transforms those relationships. He teaches us how to fix them. He teaches us how to bear with one another and love each other. Due to our sin and brokenness, the most difficult part of life will be giving our lives away and living in healthy relationships. This goes for marriage relationships, roommates, friends, community groups, neighbors. All of us are unhealthy and broken in some way or another when it comes to relationships. You might be in here today and you might be really friendly but easily codependent. You're like really friendly. You're like, what about Bob? You're just, oh, everyone, you love everyone, but you're like really codependent and awkward. So as soon as you make a friend, you're like, you call him, you text him all the time. Hey, buddy, how are you doing? I'm over here. I'm, I'm out in front of your house. I just parked. I don't know. I just open spot and like I'm here. What are you doing right now? You're like, you're really friendly with everyone, but everybody knows as soon as they befriend you back, it's codependence. You might be unneedy in here, but completely detached. You might be a person where, where everybody knows when, they, when they're your friend, like you're just the most unneedy friend ever, but you're completely detached. You have, you don't really have friends, you have acquaintances. Like who are your friends? You're like, well, I have this person. I'm like, no, no, those, that, those are acquaintances. Who are your friends? You might be easy to get along with, but you don't let anyone in. You're shut down emotionally. You might be the most amazing person face-to-face, but horrible at maintaining any connectedness when there's distance. Like, out of sight, out of mind. If I don't see you every day, I don't really care about you. You might be so quiet and afraid of relationships that everyone thinks you're mean. But you're not mean. You've, you've just been hurt in the past. So you're completely guarded. And due to all this dysfunction in our relationships, we typically operate out of fear and self-protection rather than love. A lot of you guys right now are operating out of fear. You don't want to let that person in because you're afraid. You're protecting your heart. You're protecting yourself. I'm not talking about romantic relationships. That's a whole different topic. I'm talking about community, relationships, friendships, godly relationships. That's what I'm talking about, which can filter into romantic relationships, but that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like letting your community group in you fear that. You fear sharing prayer requests. You fear holding someone accountable. You fear your great friends until that person sins. You're like, hey, sin. He did something bad. I'm not going to really even deal with them. And you're afraid of confronting them. Like, the, I, I love you. I love you so much. And this is what the Bible teaches. And you're living in a way that, that, that's not in accordance and align with God's will. And so as a brother or a sister, I'm confronting you on this. And I'm really afraid right now. But love, there's no fear and love, and I love you. And so, here it is. We have a tendency to overemphasize relationships and crush our spouses and our friends and our community. We overemphasize relationships so much, some of us, that we crush people. Or we completely underemphasize them. And we don't, we don't connect with people at all. We have so much independence that we can find all our security apart from other people and we become cold and disconnected. Guys, relationships 
they can't handle the weight of your soul. Only Jesus can. But relationships are given to us by God to come alongside our souls. If some of you in here are completely independent, you probably overwork and you don't care about relationships, you work really hard and you feel like you don't need anyone, really hard in ministry or really hard in work, I have to tell you, you're denying your identity as being made in the image of God. You need other people. So, if you're listening, you're like, okay, well, you said I can't be independent and I can't be dependent. Is there any other, is there there any other option? And the option is love. Sacrificial, costly love. When we think about love in the context of relationships, we value relationships when they're easy. This is why we have a saying like, oh, they're easy to get along with. We love it when someone's easy to get along with. That means I don't really have to pay that much to be their friend. They're like, they're, they're cool, they, they help me out when I need the help, and they're there. But when they're needy, we don't like that. Relationships are costly. Biblical relationships are not easy. Marriages are not easy. Relationships are not easy. Community groups are not easy. If you were going to a community group or you got married or you're in a relationship, you think it's supposed to be easy. It's not easy. One of, the, one of the things that, have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13, the love chapter? Most of you guys probably have. You guys have it memorized. You guys know this, 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 this chapter on love? I love it when it's read at weddings. I kind of laugh under my breath when it's read at weddings, actually. I laugh because the wedding's going off, and this couple is so in love, and they're, it's just the rom- most romantic part of the service. Like, we're going to read the love chapter. And it starts like this. Love suffers long. You see, you and I think of love like, oh, romance. Things, fireworks, things are sparking. We're connecting. We're like, oh my gosh, it's just every single time I see you, every single time I show up at the community group, like, I'm encouraged by you. And then we're just, this is the definition of biblical love. Love suffers long. Think about that. That's how it starts. There's a, there's a long suffering in love. It does not demand its own way. Meaning 99% of the time, you'll want to demand your own way. But love doesn't. Love bears and believes and hopes and endures. Sure, those are beautiful words, but love is a commitment. Love to one another is a difficult, costly commitment. That we say, you know what, I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to believe the best and hope the best when everything else points the other direction. I'm going to endure with you because I want to walk away. This is not romantic in the way that we think of romance. This is not love in the way that we think of love. Love is this, when everything in your body and your mind wants to say, leave, and you stay anyways. When you're like, I'm going to leave this, I'm going to leave this relationship, I can't believe you did this to me, everything in you wants to leave, and love says, I'm going to suffer long. I'm going to stay. That's love. In marriage, that's covenant love. That's why I love when 1 Corinthians 13 is read. Right after it's read, I get back up and go, you know what this is saying? This is saying no matter what happens, you're going to choose love. And it's not going to be as romantic as you think. It means you stay. It means you love. That's what that means. When everything in your flesh wants to say to, those, to yourself those self-comforting words, but I deserve better than this. I deserve better relationships. I deserve better friends than this. 
Love tells you, you actually deserve to remain in your broken isolation. But on the cross, the community of the Trinity was momentarily broken. Jesus experienced the relational separation from the Father as he received the Father's wrath for your sin. And in order for you to have a relational reconciliation with God, Jesus had to be pushed out, had to be rejected, left alone, and abandoned. Jesus did not operate out of self-protection. He didn't protect himself. He freely gave himself over to the worst that any human relationship could muster. Betrayal, conspiracy, murder. And he wasn't operating out of fear. He didn't give in to fear. The fear of being misunderstood, the fear of being separated from the only eternal and perfect relationship that ever mattered. Jesus operated and was moved out of love, sacrificial, costly love, so that we can have a relationship with God. And as C.S. Lewis has beautifully written, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what Christ's love does. Not only do we see him, our beautiful savior, and are transformed by his love and put in right relationship with God, but because we see him, we see everything else. Because we see Jesus reconciling us back to God, we see everything else. We see that it's Christ's love for us that should compel us to forgive and allow a love to cover a multitude of sin. Because Christ has loved us that way, we are to love our community. We are to love our community groups. We are to love our friends this way. Someone sins against us, it's Christ's love that compels us to forgive. It's Christ's love for us that should allow us to bear with our weaker brother and our weaker sisters. It's Christ's love that allows us to say, I can't do this life alone, and I'll stop trying today. Take that love in. The love of Christ and receive the love of Christ who went to the cross for us and rose from the grave and is coming back again. And let that beautiful love for us change us. And let the love of Christ begin to transform our relationship with other people. And what the love of Christ does is it can break. It can break this, these chains of separation that you have. Codependency that you have. You might have the proclivity to gossip, to judge. Christ's love can break those chains. They can break those things that keep us from godly, healthy relationships. Where we can go into relationships fearless and go, I believe that this is how I was created. I believe that God has created me and redeemed me to live in godly relationships. And I know that we can't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in the coastlands without relationships. And I know that I cannot get to know God apart from relationships. So God, would you break every single chain that's keeping me from living a godly relationship? Whatever sin I have in my heart, whatever sin I have in my life, would you break that? Any, any way that I see people, would you break that? God, would you come in in your love, just show me how wicked of a sinner I am that you loved me and you reconciled me to the Father. And God, may I be filled with that love and may I be given compassion for people. May I be given love for people. If you're living in isolation today, I'm gonna to ask you to do something strange. I want you to repent from isolation. If you're not living in a relationship, a godly relationship with a community group, with a group of people, with some other person, 
that you're spurring one another on towards love and good works. If that is not, then you repent. And then let me ask you something. Don't get weird. Don't go like, okay, I'm going to go find one today. And you look at you like, you're, you're the person that's going to be my soulmate. And um, <laughs> don't do that. I want you to repent of that and go, God, I pray over the next several weeks and months that you would connect me with someone. A group of people that I can share life with. And if you're in an awesome community, can I ask you to pray about letting other people in? Like you might have a great little three-person community. Could you pray about letting some more people into that? So that some more people share in that? To see the life that you give each other? The love that you give each other? I know that's hard. I know that when there's a tight friendship, it's really hard to let people in. I know that. I, I know that. But pray about letting other people in. Let's love each other. Let's be a church that is relationally whole. Because Christ, because Christ has reconciled us to the Father and made us whole. The gospel is that we get God. That's the gospel. We get that relationship back. And because of the gospel, we can have relationship. Wonderful, godly, amazing relationship with other people. Let's pray. I thank you. I thank you for the power of Jesus to break the chains of loneliness and bitterness and codependence and gossip. And I pray that the love of Christ, the love of Jesus would, would be alive in this building this morning. That would come alive. That God, we would sense that you're healing us from relational wounds. That you are, you, you're compelling us to, to seek forgiveness. That you're compelling us to forgive, to live in relationally whole lives. I just, God, I know that this church loves you so much. And I pray that we wouldn't just love in word and deed, but in action and in truth, God. May we be a relationally whole community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I want to invite you guys. I know that, I know this church, it's so awesome to be here. I mean, the first chord that was strung this morning or hit or I don't know what chords do but they go on whatever um, the first time that like they played the, like people stood up and were like loving Jesus this church loves Jesus I, I don't want to be a church that just when people walk into the building and they see us loving Christ they think wow they don't love me like that they don't love people like that they're not like open with their hands and their homes and their lives and their relationships. They're like, Jesus. And then as soon as we're done, we're like, hey. And that's it. There's no love. I know that's not this church, but I don't want, I, I just, that's the point of this. We don't want to get there, right? And not just surface, deep relationships. Deep, deep Friendships. I know that there's people here that like you're praying for a friend. I know that. That's a, that's a legitimate prayer request. You're praying for a friend. Keep praying. Keep praying for godly friendships. God, I know, I, I believe that in this room of a lot of people, a lot of Christians in Santa Barbara, by the way, they don't have to go to Reality Santa Barbara to be Christian friend. You know that, right? Of course you know that. There's a lot of Christians, 
on the coastlands, that God would bring you amazing relationships, that the gospel of Jesus and the theology of who God is comes alive and the mission that God's called you to in the coastlands will come alive. We need to be a relational church. So let's worship Jesus. Let's repent if we're just going, I don't need anyone. Let's repent of that this morning. The way that we get relational wholeness is the most intimate relational thing that Jesus did with anyone was he had a meal with them. Actually, in Revelation, it says, one of the churches, I stand at the, the, uh, the door and I knock, and if you open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. There's a great intimacy in this meal. This meal is kind of embodied in the table of communion. Let's, let's go to the table with Jesus and go, Lord, thank you that you're, that because of the cross, I'm relationally whole with you, that I can have relationship with you. Thank you for that. God, make me Give me good relationships with other people. Heal my heart. Watch my tongue. Make my, heal. If my heart's sick, and that's why I can't live in your relationship, God, heal it. Let's respond to God. If you need prayer for anything, if you want to pray for a friend, if you want to pray for a friend or, or for a friend, like for a friend or like for a friend, you know what I'm saying. Prayer team's here to pray. Let's respond, and let's be a church that's relational for the sake of the gospel, amen.